A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their faith in the mucky business of politics. You might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And of course, you'd be right to think that. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters, those who are involved in politics, in an informed way. Today, we're speaking to Carla Lockhart, who is an MP in Northern Ireland, and she is a Christian. She feels called to be in politics at this point in time. We'll be asking her why as we discuss evangelism and abortion. All that to come, but first, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the stories that you might have missed. Well, the former president of the United States has made rather a big claim. Donald Trump was a guest via telephone on the American Christian TV network, the Victory Channel. And at one point he said, nobody has done more for Christianity or for evangelicals or for religion itself than I have. He said Joe Biden had turned out to be worse than anyone thought and that his administration lied about what they really think of organised religion. Around the world, efforts to translate the Bible into more languages are accelerating. Wycliffe Bible Translators says 717 languages now have a full version of Scripture, which is almost 10% of all the languages spoken worldwide. However, one in five people are still waiting for the Bible in their mother tongue. And over 1,100 church leaders have signed a letter to the Prime Minister urging the government not to scrap the £20 universal credit uplift. And Tim, I know this is something you would be with them on. Well, yes, of course, on this show, we try always to be non-partisan. We interview Christians in all political parties who seek to follow and obey Jesus. But sometimes we can feel so strongly that a policy will have harmful consequences that we must speak out. The issue in question is the government's £20 a week cut in universal credit, which comes into force this week. Now, I've discussed this issue with Conservative friends in Parliament. There are Christians I love dearly who will go into a different voting lobby to me on this issue. And it is very tempting to let the graciousness we should display as Christians just slump into a soppy neutrality. But we should not shy away from difficult conversations. I understand the government justification is that this was only a temporary uplift, a concession to see people through the pandemic, that it is hugely expensive to keep paying for it. Their key point is that high quality work is the best way for people to be lifted out of poverty. But 40% of those receiving universal credit are already in work. And in my constituency, it's more like 70%. This move will hit those hardest who are already struggling to stay afloat, often holding down several jobs to do so. Five and a half million families will see their incomes reduced by more than a thousand pounds a year. Now, the anti-poverty charity, the Joseph Roundtree Foundation, believes this will push half a million people into poverty, including 200,000 children. Why? Well, food and fuel bills are rising steeply. National insurance will go up next April. Also, the system operates in a way that means people will need to work about nine extra hours a week to make up the shortfall. Even if people who are already working full time can find these hours, just think of the pressure that will be put on family life. We are one of the richest economies in the world. What does this say about us as a nation when people are in such poverty that they cannot afford to meet the basic needs of their families? The church has been very visible during the pandemic, running food banks, debt advice centres, soup kitchens, meeting the needs of their local communities. Indeed, it was already doing many of these things before the pandemic. 
and many would argue this role should be carried out by churches and charities, not by the state. There was no state welfare in biblical times, but the books of the law make plenty of provision for the poor. The principle of jubilee required the restoration of lands to their original owners every 50 years. Debt were to be cancelled after seven years. Farmers were to leave gleanings from their crops for the poor to gather, as we see in the story of Ruth and Boaz. There are also warnings against idleness. Paul warns in 2 Thessalonians 3 that if a man will not work, he shall not eat. So we clearly have a responsibility to earn our living as far as we can. But millions of working people in the UK live week to week with no savings and the slightest change in circumstance can drive them into debt and poverty. The pandemic and its aftermath of rising costs has magnified all of this. It is tough for many to earn a secure living despite working hard. The Bible says nothing about what level of universal credit there should be, what it should be set at, but I think it gives us some clues as to whether it's right to remove a thousand pounds a year from our poorest families at a time when the cost of living is rising fast. When we look at Jesus' life, we see he did not just come to save the souls of the people he met, but their bodies too, feeding and healing them. In Jesus, we see God reaching down to us. Psalm 113 says he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap, and he expects his people to do the same. Psalm 72 praises rulers who deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. I firmly believe that as followers of Christ, we are called to follow him as our saviour and to share him with others. But I think we should also follow him as our guide and to make a difference to people's lives on earth, because this is what Jesus did. And this points people back to him. We are to demonstrate and model his love to others. Yes, through our churches and our communities, but also through the way that we conduct our politics. Politics is about the way we organise our society and manage our resources. Government has great power to affect people's lives and must use its power wisely. For Christians, this surely means that we must look after the poor and those in need. And in the words of Micah 6, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Today, our guest is Carla Lockhart. She joined Westminster as a newly elected MP in December 2019, along with seven other members of the Democratic Unionist Party. But before that, she was a councillor, a mayor and an MLA in the Northern Irish Assembly. Carla, it's an absolute joy to have you with us. Let's start by asking you the, the simple one, maybe. Um, how did you first become a Christian? Well, I was brought up in a Christian home. Uh, Mum and dad were saved. I went to a very evangelical church in Northern Ireland. And I have to say, right from I was able to understand things, I recognised that uh, there was something more to life and that I needed Christ in my life and that I needed to accept him as my own and personal saviour. Um, I was aged four, Tim, when I was saved alongside my sister, who was aged five. And it was after a, a gospel meeting uh, in a local town. We were travelling up to my granny's after it and uh, we uh, uh, we were talking about what the minister had said about being saved and needing to be saved uh, to be assured of your home in heaven. And at that point, we asked mum and dad about how we would do that. And they pointed us to the Lord. Uh, it was childlike faith. Uh, we were so young. 
Uh, mm. But I'm thankful that right throughout my years, Christ has never given up on me. And although I fail him daily, uh, he has always uh, honoured me and, and you know been faithful to me. Carla, it's been a bit of a theme in some of the conversations we've had with others recently of not everyone, but some people putting their faith in Christ really young. And it's really struck me um, that people might be very sniffy about that. But God isn't. And God does not despise the faith of a child or from someone from a very simple background. And I guess we can feel assured that, you know, he he hears the prayer of a four year old um, and never forgets it. Doesn't think, oh, come on, wait until you're a bit older. And that's an amazing thing to to know about um, about God. And it's great to hear it from from you. So your your upbringing then in a in a Christian home through school. Um, what was that? What was that like? And was there a point in your in your youth where you felt in any way challenged about your faith? Well, Tim, you know, you, you talk about childlike faith and you know, Christ says suffer the little children. Uh, so absolutely. He loves uh, the children and and we're all called to, to come and childlike faith. Uh, so definitely uh, Christ is is in it all. Um, very normal upbringing uh, was not, uh, we would talk about in Northern Ireland being reared with a silver spoon in your mouth. I wasn't. Um, my mum and dad worked hard. Uh, I had an older sister and a younger brother. Um, went to a very rural primary school, uh, very low numbers in it. Uh, same with high school. So I never, ever felt, you know, challenged or you know, I was never really challenged by others within um, within the school setting because it was so small. Uh, but then I suppose as you go on through life, you go to university, you go to uh, college, go to university. Uh, it does become more challenging, but I'm thankful that I always I was able to identify friends who were of like faith. Mm. And I suppose that highlights the importance even for young people today about company and making sure that they get into company that is uh, of like-minded faith as them, because ultimately your company can make or break you. So I'm thankful that I always had company um, and I was always uh, attracted to politics right from uh, I was no age. I would have been out helping my dad uh, canvas or standing at the, the polling station on electoral, uh, on election day. Um, so I always enjoyed politics. Never, ever thought I would enter frontline politics, mm. but um, always was interested. The other person that was very inspirational in terms of politics was Peter Robinson, mm. uh, former first minister and former leader of the party. Uh, I actually attended my week's work experience with Peter. Oh, uh, yes. and I stayed with Peter um, and his wife, Iris. Um, and that was probably my first baptism of, of real politics. Wow. So he had a he had a huge impact and was a real encourager um, in terms of getting into politics. And, and he certainly helped pave the way uh, for me. So uh, that's how I uh, arrived in politics. I came out of university, got a job with as a researcher with one of our uh, assembly members and uh Six months later, I ended up on the council, age 21. Um, I, was, I was, it was a bit of a roller coaster. I was the youngest mayor uh, of, of the borough, Craigan Borough. Um, I then threw my name into the hat for um, the assembly, was elected to the assembly. Uh, the assembly collapsed for a few years, which was a very challenging time. Uh, but it was back up and running. And I then uh, threw my name in the hat for uh 
member of parliament and was selected by the party to run and got elected in 2019, as you said. So it's been year on year. There's always been an election or, or some drama with regards yeah. to political career. But that's how I've ended up in, in parliament. Wow. And so we n- not quite two years on from uh, your election. And the only reason we've not had that many elections in between is because of the small matter of a of a pandemic. So what 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 a, what a time to be involved in politics. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking with the MP for Upper Ban, Carla Lockhart. Uh, Carla, you have had this really interesting sort of, uh, progress in your politics from uh, starting out as a, as a researcher and then bit by bit becoming a councillor, becoming a mayor, becoming an MLA, becoming an MP. When we spoke the other day, you um, you quoted uh, Esther uh, and uh, the book of Esther about being called into politics for such a time as this. Tell me a little bit what you meant by that. Well, I actually have the verse open in front of me, uh, Tim, and it's Esther 4 and 14. And the verse um, goes on to say just at the at the end of it, uh, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I genuinely believe um, As I said earlier, I feel the Lord every day. I let him down, uh, but I genuinely believe that I am in Parliament for such a time as this, particularly on issues such as abortion. Mm. Uh, You will know that I have been very vocal. I made my maiden speech uh, on this issue, and I will continue to be a voice uh, for the voiceless, and I believe that God has me in Parliament to be that voice. Uh, I was so encouraged after I made my maiden speech how it really encouraged others who have been there for years and have been championing the cause, but yet have not had very much uh, support. So for me, I'm young, I'm female, and therefore this is what this is what keeps me in politics because I firmly believe I need to be a voice for the voiceless. And Carla, what do you think about the, the nature and the tone of the debate on abortion at the moment? Well, I suppose it grieves me, Tim, just how uh, the abortion debate uh, plays out. Um, For me, it's about life and it's about the value of life. And I believe the most basic human right is the right to life. And in pregnancy, both lives matter. So uh, it's not just about the baby and it's not just about the woman. It's about both lives. And I think we need to rehumanize the baby in the womb. And we need to start to ensure that people recognise that it is a person um, and therefore uh, it needs protected. And I think for us as Christians, uh, we need to step out of our comfort zone, particularly the church. We need to step out of our comfort zone and actually come alongside these people who find themselves in a situation where they actually feel they can't continue with the pregnancy. And we need to show real practical Christianity. So, yes, it's important that the legislative um, framework is life affirming. And that's my aim as a as a legislator to to try and ensure that all legislation is is proofed with with life and the value of life. But um, there's a challenge for us all as Christians to really start to put our arms around and reach out to those who are in most need. Um, who found themselves in a crisis pregnancy. And looking after, and that, that phrase, you know, both lives matter. And 
it's obvious from what you say about rehumanizing the unborn child in the eyes of 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 the public and of society but what does both lives matter look like in terms of how christians would care for and support um the mother so again i, I take it back to as it was just two two strands you know as legislators again we need to ensure that all our legislation so you look at the two the, the two child cap uh, family cap that shouldn't be the case that that absolutely should not because that plunges people into financial difficulty look at child care what are we doing to actually help mums who find themselves maybe uh, falling pregnant with a third child and thinks I can't I can't afford child care and therefore I I can't continue with this pregnancy so I think from our perspective as legislators it's important that all of that supports the family and supports uh, life but as Christians it's about practical help and love and compassion and as I said coming alongside those people who really feel they can't continue with that pregnancy and letting them say that we're there to help and support them unfortunately Tim the church has become the last place where where people who find themselves in those situations come to and I think that's uh, that should be a challenge to us all that we need to show some practical Christianity and some real Christian love to those who find themselves in those situations. And Carla when we spoke the other day you talked about how and it's very obvious, really, um, your family has had a huge impact upon you in terms of faith, in terms of uh, your political views and other things as well. And you spoke about an experience, a conversation with your dear late uncle, and he offered you some very profound advice. Remind me a little bit about what that was. So I had an uncle who I worked for for many years. Uh, school got me through university and uh, all the rest uh, during the summer summer working hours and uh, he was someone of great faith he himself faced many challenges but he, he was just an amazing man he was an elder in our church and he was someone who always had a word uh, in season for you uh, and there was one day we were sitting outside the church and I had just got a new red mini and he came over to to look at the mini and he was telling me how great it was to see me with this mini car and he said you know Carla you will walk in places that I will never walk make sure and tell them about their need of a savior and make sure and always take your stand for Christ and I didn't realise how profound those words would be because just a few weeks later, he was tragically killed in an accident, a, a tractor accident. He was on a tractor run and he was tragically killed. And I suppose those words have echoed in my mind uh, mm. over the last sort of 10, 12 years because mm. his earthly ministry was finished. Um, and he still obviously, uh, Christ continued to use him uh, and his ministry but his earthly ministry had finished but yet mine uh, was still was only beginning and I suppose as I walk in places where few have trod mm. um, those, those words echo in my mind that I need to be faithful and I need to be um, courageous around telling people about uh, my faith. And that's I guess lead me to ask you really whether or how you think a Christian in politics might use their profile, um, their access to people to to share the gospel, to share their faith. How how does that work out for you? 
Well, I, I suppose it has given me great opportunities because um, what I find is particularly because uh, people know of my kind of passion around the, the, the pro-life issue they do ask me to speak they ask me to engage tell people about my faith things like this Tim never ever thought I would have the opportunity to be on your uh, podcast uh, telling people about my uh, about my faith so there are great opportunities but again you know I think for us it's about making sure that legislation uh, values uh, the, the Christian and values the uh, you know the church and make sure that protections are there for the church. So whilst yes, um, you know we're called to tell people about our faith absolutely and whatever way we can, whether that's standing in the chamber, whether that's in the tea room, whether that um, just in conversation with you know someone we meet in the corridor. Um, but I think we are really called as legislators to ensure that we protect the Christian faith and that we support others right throughout the world, um, whether it be the persecuted Christians or uh, whoever, uh, in their walk as well. So, you know, I suppose it's it's there's two strands to it. Um, yes, we, we talk about our faith, but also we look at how the culture in the United Kingdom uh, is dictated by legislation. So that's important as well. I think we've run out of time, which is really sad because it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you, more importantly, listening to you um, and to hearing about your your upbringing, um, your faith and uh, how that applies in politics. Um, we wish there were many more of you. We're very grateful for the one that we have. And um, thanks very, very much indeed for giving your time to be on this radio show today. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Each week, we answer a question from you, the listener, about how Christianity and politics can work together. Maybe you're thinking through a particular issue or you're not sure why people disagree on a certain policy. If you've got a question, please write it in in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. This week, we've got a question from Alistair. Uh, hello, Tim. Uh, my name is uh, Alistair Watkins. Uh, I live in uh, Halifax, up in the... Well, some call it the frozen north, but uh, no, further north gets frozen. Okay, Uh, so uh, thank you for uh, listening to me. Uh, What I would like to ask you is this. uh, What is your position on Israel and the the church in the end times? Um, You know, do you believe that uh, uh, people who believe in replacement theology believe that the church has completely replaced Israel in God's plan? Or do you believe that Israel remains uh, in God's plan? Um, And how does whichever view you hold affect your political views and your political actions? All right, God bless. Well, thanks, Alistair. First of all, we have to challenge the controversial notion that Halifax is in the north. Sat up in Cumbria, it seems a long way south to me. Um, having said all that, let's deal with the other, even bigger issue that you raise, and that of Israel. I think it seems to me fairly obvious that God chose the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, to be the people to whom he revealed himself and what he's like, but that through him, and it says this all the way through the Old Testament, starting in Genesis, that the revelation of God would be through the Jewish people, but to the whole world as well. And then clearly, uh, with the coming of Jesus, 
we then enter the end times. People talk about end times as though we were thinking about, you know, the days, the very few days running up to Judgment Day. I think it's right to read um, description of, or talk of the end times as being the moment really after all of the time after Jesus um, came for the first time between that time and his second coming. So I think looking at Israel today, I think it is in one way um, a country like any other. Maybe as a as a Christian, I would um, be less likely to follow the herd into criticizing Israel unfairly, because, of course, there are many people uh, who will treat Israel as a very special place um, because it is uh, the Jewish homeland. Um, and many of those people will be Christians. On the other hand, there are plenty of people in the world who will treat Israel as a very special place, but especially awful. And it often strikes me that, you know, we, we think of the Israeli government that often does bad things. We think of, for example, the Russian government that often does bad things. I hear nobody saying that Russia should be got rid of as a country and shouldn't be allowed to exist. I hear people who are supposedly sensible people talking about Israel not having a right to exist. And I think I try to look at Israel um, from a fair point of view. It's got many faults. Its leadership is often uh, very, very wrong in how it behaves, even sometimes wicked. Nevertheless, if you look at Israel, it is by far the most liberal, democratic and free country uh, of all of its neighbours and for many, many miles around. And we should be careful that we don't judge it too harshly. So, yes, I think we're in a time now where the people of God, um, the church uh, is worldwide, it includes Jewish people, it includes Gentile people. Um, I am sure that God's plan for the Jewish people is one that is very close to his heart um, and is greatly important. But I think it's important we remember now that the message, the gospel, is one that is for everybody and not just for one particular race or creed. Well, as we come to the end of this week's show, let's join together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we know that you care for those who are poor and in need. And we lift up to you those people in this country who will be affected by uh, reduction in universal credit. We pray you provide for them. We pray that you would uphold them. Uh, we pray that you'd reach out to them. We pray for those who have the honour of being able to make decisions that affect people's lives in this way, that you would just give us all wisdom and we would understand uh, what is right and help us to make right choices. Help us to treat one another graciously and with forgiveness. Help us nevertheless to be passionate about what is right. Lord, we thank you for calling Carla Lockhart into politics for such a time as this and for her passion uh, for uh, following you and in particular, her concern for the issues of uh, life and uh, life for unborn children and life for um, the mothers of those children. And we pray that you would help that discussion and debate in all parts of the United Kingdom to be seasoned with grace um, and that your will would be done and that politicians would make wise choices uh, that reflect your truth and uh, what is important to you um, and that we would do so in ways which bring glory to your name. And Father, we thank you also that you call those of us in politics who are Christians to be in a position where we have a profile and we are heard publicly. Please give us wisdom and show us how we might share the gospel faithfully, appropriately, and with great power, uh, which can only come through you and the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. 
these things we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us. If you have any feedback for the show, suggestions of guests or topics you'd like to have covered or questions, please do email farron at premier.org.uk and we will be delighted to hear from you. Don't forget to subscribe so that other people can see the podcast. Next week, we'll be speaking to Sir Gary Streeter, the Conservative MP for South West Devon. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.